glad you all have already gotten your nickels worth this morning, haven't you? I always dread it when Steve goes on vacation. He comes back. He just can't wait. He called me back uh, in the little room back there and said, i got to get out there and start it now. You're not going to have any time to preach. And so I said, well, go ahead. Well, today we come to conclude our study in Paul's letter to the Philippians. And as he comes to the end of the letter, he is speaking about contentment. Now, that is of interest to me because we live in a society that creates discontentment in our life. I think it's necessary for our economy, and so it creates discontentment. The clothes that you wear today, you're not going to be pleased with tomorrow. The hairstyle that you have today, you will not be pleased with tomorrow. And so we live in a society that creates discontentment. For instance, the house where you live, when you bought it, was your dream house. And you couldn't wait to move into that house. But now there are houses on the market and they have features that your house does not have. And so you think, what in the world am I doing living in this shack when I should be living over there? So there is the discontentment. And then, of course, we are never satisfied with the money that we make. U.S. News and World Report did a study some time back, and it revealed that a family in America that made $25,000 a year believed that it would require $54,000 a year to live the American dream. But a family that made $100,000 a year believed that it would take $192,000 to live the American dream. So no matter how much money we make, we are never content. There is more that we need. And then, of course, there is the change in technology. About the time you learn the little piece of equipment that you have, they've come out with something else, and that is obsolete. Do you have an iPhone? Everybody needs an iPhone. I've seen it on television. You have that little screen that you move stuff around, up and down and so forth. And so you think, i got, I got to have that. And then there was an article in the Wall Street Journal recently that reported Toto had introduced the NeoRest toilet. Seats can be set to rise automatically. Wireless remote to raise or lower the seat, deodorizer, warm air dryer, and water temperature. Cost $5,000. I thought, i got to have that. There's something else that bothers me a little bit that is designed, I think, to make us discontent, and that's those expiration dates on products. Let me ask you a question. Do your grown children and your grandchildren go through your refrigerator checking out the expiration dates? <laughs> Eric and Emily were over at our house recently, and I saw them in there, and and uh, after a while, Emily's standing there holding a, a jar of mustard. She said, this expired in 1969. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but it has some left. <laughs> I mean, see, they put those dates on there because one day you are content with the mustard, the next day you're not. And so they put those dates on there to cause us to be, I think, discontent. Well, what is contentment? Paul speaks about contentment. What is it? Well, it is not complacency. In fact, I think that there are many people who resent contentment because they see it as being complacency, and it isn't complacency. 
Contentment is not escapism. There are those who think to be content that I need to be on a beautiful island somewhere surrounded with sandy beaches and blue water. There is peace and quiet, but that is not contentment. Well, what is it? The dictionary defines contentment as freedom from care or discomfort, satisfied or manifesting satisfaction with one's possession, status, or situation. W. Vines defines it this way. Primarily, it signifies to be sufficient, to be possessed of sufficient strength, to be strong. To be enough for a thing, hence to defend, to ward off. Take your Bibles, look with me please at Philippians chapter 4. We'll begin in verse number 10 as Paul concludes. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father, the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Well, how can we have contentment? Now, Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever state I am. How can we be content? And that's what I want to share with you today. First of all, we are content when we know that God is in control. When we know that God is involved in life, then that can bring us contentment. If you are not aware or if you do not believe that God is involved in life, that God is involved in your life, then you will never find contentment. Now, when I think about that, the fatalist is someone who believes in God's involvement, but he or she believes that God is responsible for all bad things. For instance, the pagan believed that God was involved in life, but that God was responsible for drought, for famine, for death, and so forth. And so sometimes they would even sacrifice their children to appease their gods. It seems to me that sometimes that mentality is also found in Christians that we too sometimes become fatalistic, blaming God for bad things. So when something bad happens, what do we say? Well, that was the will of God. If someone is sick, someone dies and so forth, well, that was the will of God. 
And we even refer to certain things as being acts of God. If there's a terrible storm, if there's a loss of life, if there's the damage to property, then it is listed as an act of God. So the fatalist then is someone who sees God everywhere. The humanist or the, uh, the, the unbeliever is someone who sees God nowhere. So the fatalist then sees God involved in life. He's involved in everything, and we blame God for bad things. The unbeliever looks around and sees God nowhere. For instance, the deist believed that God created the world. He wound it up like a clock. He put it in orbit, and he withdrew from it, and so God is not involved in life. The humanist today is someone who can marvel at creation but fails to see a creator. What a beautiful creation it is. What a marvelous creation it is. But they don't see God at work. It is only when we see that God is involved in life, then we can have some contentment. And that was Paul. If you notice in verse number 10, he said, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Why? Why was Paul able to say, and Paul was in prison when he wrote this, why was he able to say, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly? Because he saw God at work. God was involved with the Philippians. God was involved with him. He saw God at work. Joseph lived his life understanding God's involvement in life. You know the story about Joseph and how he was sold into, into slavery by his brothers. And then later, uh, his brothers appeared to him when he had been exalted in Egypt and so forth. And as they were there, Joseph confronts his brothers and he says in Genesis 50:20, And as for you, the brothers, as for you... You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about the present result to preserve many people alive. You see, Joseph had a sense of contentment in his life because he saw God at work. When you did this, you did it for evil, but God was at work and God meant it for good. The same thing could be said of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when Nebuchadnezzar erected the idol and told everyone to, to uh, bow down before the idol, and they refused to do so. And, and then Nebuchadnezzar sent for them. When they came and stood before Nebuchadnezzar again, Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to give you another chance. You can bow down this time. If you don't, then you're going to face the fiery furnace. And so in Daniel 3.17, they said, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now, they are standing before the king, but they saw the involvement of God. Therefore, there was a sense of contentment in their life. They were content because even though they faced the furnace, they said that God is still involved. Folks, it is not the pleasant circumstances that provide contentment, but the awareness of God's presence. That brings contentment. There was an article in the newspaper written by Leonard Pitts, and it was a blessing to me when I read it. He said, one morning last January, a Baptist preacher with a church in a Washington suburb was driving through the city when he was approached by two women. The preacher hesitated when they came up to his window begging a ride, but then the Reverend Ronald Austin said yes. It was a cold morning after all, and his parishioners say he's a generous man who finds it difficult to turn need away. Of course, it's no surprise what happened next. 
One of the women produced a knife and stabbed the preacher. He scrambled out of the car, found himself still entangled in his seatbelt. The women took off anyway, and Ronald Austin was dragged at high speed for five blocks, the tire constantly rolling over his foot. Finally, one of the women cut the belt and left him lying in the street. He was road burned, scraped, and gashed. His left foot, a chunk of raw meat, doctors had to amputate. Recently, the Reverend returned to the pulpit of Spirit of Peace Baptist Church in Capitol Heights, Maryland. A newspaper account depicted him as transcendent and triumphant, hopping about, crying, to the, uh, to, crying joy to the rafters. Know what he said? I have one leg. Thank you, God. Now, folks, that's contentment. You see, when I, I, I might lose everything. We think that contentment comes when I have this stuff. It does not bring contentment to us. It is when we understand that God is involved in life, that God is involved in my life, then I can have contentment. That's what Paul says. Paul said, he foreknew us. In Romans chapter 8, 29, for whom he foreknew. Do you know what that means? That means of the billions of people on this earth, he knew that you were going to be born. He knew Anthony was going to be born. He knew Jim was going to be born. Joe was going to be born. Before this world was ever created, God knew that you were going to be born. Bill was going to be born. God knew that before the world was created. The Bible says that He foreknew you and He predestined you. He says in Romans 8, 29, For whom He foreknew, He predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. So the Bible says then that God knew that you were going to be born before the world was ever created. And He predestined what? That you were going to become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what God's doing in your life. Good times, bad times, God's working in your life. Conforming you to the image of Jesus. He foreknew you. He predestined. See, we can be content if I know God's involved. That God's in control and that God's involved in my life, right? If you really believe that God is involved in your life, there is a contentment that brings. Secondly, we're content when we know that God has the power to meet every need that I have. Now, Paul says in verse 12, he learned a secret. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity in, in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Now, when he says, I have learned the secret, the word learn that is used there means by experience. Paul said, I learned the secret by experience. It's not something I read in a book. This is something that I learned from experience. J. Paul Getty at one time, the richest man in the world, said people should be more content. The way to cure discontent is not necessarily to get more. The old cliche about money not buying happiness is certainly true. So Paul is saying, I have learned to be content, and he mentions that he had experienced humble circumstances. He had had humble circumstances in his life. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 4, 9, he referred to himself as being a spectacle to the world. In verse number 10, he says, we are fools for Christ's sake. We are weak. We are without honor. And yet he says, I've learned to be content. He said, I have lived a part of my life in humble circumstances, but I have learned to be content. Folks, contentment does not come by how much you have. 
It comes when you understand that God is able to meet your needs. Now, some of you might have thought about that when the stock market went down this past week. It's not how much we have, but God's ability to meet my needs. A few years ago, Linda and I were in Morocco. We were walking down the Casbah, and you looking at uh, everything, and there was a lady from America who was walking alongside us, and she happened to comment. She said, while we're looking at our 401ks, these people are looking for the next meal. And I said, that's true, but you know, I'll bet you that there are people here who are more content in their situation than many of us are in our situation. Because contentment does not come from what we have. Paul says, I've... I have lived in humble means. He said, I've also had prosperity. And I believe that prosperity can give us contentment because prosperity fails to bring contentment, so it brings us to the one who gives us contentment. So there are a lot of people who think that if I get this much money or if I get these things, then I'm going to be content. They get those things. They are still not content. Now then, out of that failure, they come to Christ where they find contentment. That was Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a good man. Nicodemus was a religious man. He was a teacher of religion to religious teachers. But because none of this had brought satisfaction and contentment to his life, it drove him to Christ where he found contentment. Everything can be used to bring contentment in our life. Paul says, I've had little, I've had much. And I've learned to be content. What's the secret? He said, I learned the secret. What is it? Verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Contentment is not in what we have or what we lack, but it is in being connected to Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that. Contentment is not in what we have, what we don't have. It is being connected to Jesus Christ. Now, if you are connected to Jesus Christ, you can discharge every duty, every assignment that is given to you. The Apostle Paul was connected to the Lord. He suffered. He was in prison. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. All these things. And yet he came to the end of his life and said, I have finished my course. I have fulfilled my assignment. He was connected to Jesus, and he was able to discharge every assignment given to him. Same thing is true with John. John was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. He was taken away from that church where he pastored and the people that he loved. He was put on the Isle of Patmos and exiled there, but he fulfilled the task that the Lord gave him to fulfill. Folks, if you are connected to Jesus, you can discharge every duty. Every duty the Lord gives you, you can discharge if you're connected to Christ. You can endure every trial if you're connected to Christ. Now, I'm probably like some of you concerning this. I wonder sometimes, do you, that if something bad really happens to me, let's say that Let's say that I go in and, and the doctor tells me that I have some kind of a serious disease that, that, that's fatal. Or maybe my, my wife or children or grandchildren. Or I have some bad news. I wonder how I'm going to handle that. Do you wonder that? Now, I know some of you are more spiritual than I am, but I do. I wonder, how am I going to, if that happens to me, what will I do? Because I can't imagine it. And yet I believe from God's Word and from the observation of other people, 
if I am connected to the Lord, that He will give me the grace I have to have or I need at that time. I don't have it now. But I don't need it now. And I think that if you are connected to the Lord, that He will give you the grace, He will give you the strength you need to endure every trial. And if you're connected to Him, He'll give you the strength to overcome every temptation. Because Paul wrote, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. So what is the secret? Paul said, I have learned the secret. What is it? It is being connected to Jesus. I have learned the secret. No matter what, or if I have much or if I have little, I have learned the secret. What is it? It is being connected to Christ and establishing godly priorities. Because Jesus said in Matthew 6:33, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Contentment comes when I know that I am in God's will. Well, that's so important. That I know that I'm in God's will. Folks, you can take a lot of abuse if you know you're in God's will. You can endure a lot if you know you are in God's will. That's the reason when someone comes to me and says, I think the Lord might be calling me to preach. I say, you need to have more than a a think he called me to preach. Because sometimes that's the only thing that will keep you in it is that God has called you. God has called me. We are content when we know that the Lord has sufficient power to meet our every need. We're content when we know God meets our needs. Now look again at verse number 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now Paul saw God at work. God was involved. God was at work in the lives of the Philippians to meet his need. And so they had a renewed concern about Paul. All right. So the Philippians now are concerned about Paul, and so they gave a gift. Verse number 16. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. All right. So God then stirred the Philippians. This encouraged Paul. They sent him a gift, and then Paul says the gift that you gave was an investment in the kingdom. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. So the scripture says then that they invested in the kingdom of God. But did you notice what he says again in verse 17? Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to whose account? Help me out here. Whose account? To your account. Paul says that you gave to me as an investment. And what I want to see is God profit you. It was an investment that God pays dividends on. Folks, that is a teaching of Scripture. That's the reason I, I, you know, I, that's the reason I, I haven't had a problem with tithing and giving and that kind of thing. I'd much rather give it to the Lord and let Him pay the return on it. You know, let Him pay the dividend on it. That's what the Bible says. In, in Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there shall be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the window of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. 
In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, they will pour into your lap, for by your standard of measure it will be measured to you in return. So Paul says, you have given to me, that is an investment in the kingdom, and now God in turn gives to you, and he sees your gift as a sacrifice to him. Look at verse 18. But I've received everything in full and have an abundance I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant aroma and acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Can you th- do you think of your offering in that way whenever you give to the Lord? Do you think of it in those terms? Paul said to the Philippians, your gift is a sacrifice to God. It is acceptable to Him as a sacrifice, and it is pleasing to Him as a sacrifice. And then there's a promise to us in verse number 19. And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to understand all your needs. The Philippians gave to meet one need of Paul. Paul says God will meet all of your needs. Your spiritual needs, emotional needs, physical needs, God will meet all of your needs. According to his riches. The Philippians gave out of their poverty to meet Paul's need. He says, God will meet your need out of his riches. The Philippians gave out of their poverty. God gives out of his riches. So, let me conclude. How can you be content? By knowing that God is in control, that God is involved. That no matter what's happening around me, that God is involved in my life. Even as Paul was in prison, he rejoiced greatly in the Lord because the Lord was at work. He saw the involvement of God. Secondly, by knowing God has sufficient power to meet every need I have. Paul said, I've learned by experience. He said, I've had much, I've had little. But I have learned by experience that God is able to meet every need. And thirdly, knowing that God meets our needs. He not only can meet our needs, He meets our needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I read the story about a bishop in the early church who was known as a man incredibly content. And some people were talking to his mother, preachers were talking to him one day, and they asked him about it. How is it that you are so content? And he said, it consists of nothing more than making a right use of my eyes. In whatever state I am, I first of all look up toward heaven and remember that my principal business here is to get there. Then I look upon the earth and call to mind how small a place I shall occupy in it when I die and am buried. I then look around in the world and observe what multitudes there are who are in many respects more unhappy than myself. By this I learn where true happiness is placed, where all our cares must end, and what little reason I have to complain. Folks, contentment does not come from what we have or what we lack. It comes from being connected to Jesus and establishing spiritual priorities. Do you know Him today? You'll never find contentment apart from Him. Do you know Him? It's my prayer today that if you've never invited Christ to be your Savior and Lord, and you might be a religious person, you might be a church member, you might be a member of this church, but if you've never come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, you will not have contentment of heart.
It only comes through Jesus. And my prayer is today that you'll come to know Him. Our Father in God, we come to lift up this time of invitation and ask, Lord, that you draw people unto yourself. And thank you, Father, as we extend the invitation that you are absolutely sufficient to meet every need to our good, to your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. And let me encourage you, if you're here without Christ, that you trust him today. We have staff members who would love to talk with you and pray with you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. You come. Stand with me, please. They sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.